the first big legislative showdown vote of the year is supposed to loom in just a few days when the House takes up the Republican legislation to replace Obamacare. But going into the debate, it's a little bit reminiscent of the fable of Goldilocks. Republican moderates say the bill doesn't do enough. Republican conservatives say the bill still does way too much. And Paul Ryan and Donald Trump say it's just right. I'm David Hawkins, host of the Big Story podcast. And here with me in studio is CQ's health beat editor, Rebecca Adams, to break it all down for us and explain how the Republicans can possibly put this back together. We will see if they will be able to put it all together. Vice President Mike Pence is on the Hill today trying to work with conservatives and encourage them to support this bill. We also have Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price on the Hill, arm-twisting and trying to get a deal on this. But right now, it is far from baked because we have moderates who are concerned about their constituents in who receive marketplace plans or who live in states that have expanded Medicaid under the law. We also have conservatives who call it Obamacare light and say that this is not something that they can support. We have a rally on the Hill today with conservative groups talking about how this repeal effort does not go far enough. So there's lots of lobbying going on. Tomorrow, the American Medical Association will be hosting an event talking about how they need to stop and rethink this whole repeal effort and try to maintain coverage. So I suppose if either of us could explain how this difference could be bridged, we'd be making hundreds of thousands of dollars more than we do now (laughs) as as lobbyists. Uh, But in theory, can this be bridged? Is there a way to make enough of the sort of the centrists who are concerned about doing away with the Medicaid expansion happy and at the same time uh, pare back the government involvement in health care enough to make the conservatives happy? At this point, the goal is to get the bill through the House, and they will do whatever they have to do to get it through the House. That may mean making some additional concessions to conservatives to try to bring them on board if they can maintain support among moderates. It's a very difficult needle to thread. Once they get it through the House, the Senate will work its will and probably take a different approach. So it's hard to see how this actually becomes law at this point. But we have seen many health care debates with very close votes, starting with the 2003 prescription drug debate, which, as we all remember, they had to hold the vote open between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. to try to get Tom DeLay to make deals on the floor to get people to vote for it. Once they have set this goal of trying to move it through, you assume that they will find a way, but that path is not very clear at this moment. Do you and your reporters, Rebecca, sense that the president and his team are really sort of committed to this bill, or are they essentially just committed, as you say, to whatever it takes to get to yes, they'll support? I think Vice President Mike Pence is very very committed to the ideal and the vision that Paul Ryan has put forward. I think that he has he and Paul Ryan have both been very interested in reshaping Medicaid, which I think is sometimes lost in this debate. We talk a lot about the 12.2 million people in the marketplace, but you forget that we have something like 75 million people on Medicaid now, and um, we have 11, 12, 11 million or so who gained coverage through the expansion plus other people who heard that they were eligible. They'd always been eligible, but they hadn't signed up. So those people joined up as well. So I think they are very focused on trying to do as much as they can. President Trump, I don't know how 
held deeply involved in the details he is. He has said that he wants insurance for everybody. Well, that's not what we're talking about here at all. And so it, it remains to be seen whether that changes. Um, but I believe that as Mike Pence and HHS Secretary Tom Price move forward, they're going to try to make it as conservative as they can. It is remarkable to me as somebody who who is viewing this from much more as a political story than as a policy story. You you are you think about this as policy as much as politics. To hear President Trump say what you just quoted him as saying that he wants insurance for everybody. To be reminded that he said during the campaign that he did not want to touch Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid, and now to have this bill and have him selling it with a straight face is you know just another example of the president who seems to be uh, willing to say two very different things. Uh, at very different times without any pause or um, or regret. Well, it is true. And he also is having um, his representatives say those sort of things as well. Tom Price went on TV on Sunday and he said that nobody would be worse off financially. This was the day before the Congressional Budget Office came out with a very damning report. And we saw that um, a 64-year-old, for example, who makes $26,500 would be hit with an almost $13,000 increase compared to Obamacare. So it's hard to see how a 64-year-old can pay $14,500 in marketplace plan coverage for their premiums as plus copays and deductibles. So it's it's really interesting how the rhetoric has been very different from the projections of what this bill would actually do. And of course, just to get it on the record one more time that this is the the current um, president won the election in part by reminding uh, voters until uh, he was red in the face uh, that President Obama said, if you like your doctor, you can keep it again mm-hmm. and again and again and again. Uh, and now, presumably, uh, Secretary Price, President Trump, uh, if this law were to become law, if this bill were to become law uh, and it were not to work out so well, then his his opponent, whether it's a primary opponent in 2020 or a general election opponent in 2020, uh, would have some sound bites uh, to work with. I'd like to circle back for just a second to get back to the CBO, the so-called CBO score. Uh, those of us who work for CQ and Roll Call uh, think about CBO a lot. We know what CBO is. It's rare that you have the CBO making headlines like it did this week and and to have the president castigate its reliability, which most of us who cover Congress think it's generally pretty reliable. Can you just review for us what the what the top line uh, conclusions of the CBO were? So there are a variety of things. Um, it would reduce the deficit by $337 billion over a decade, but it does that by really reducing the subsidies quite dramatically that people get from the marketplace plans and cutting $880 billion out of Medicaid, which is huge for states. There are a number of governors, both Democrats and Republicans, who are quite concerned about that. As far as premiums in the marketplace go, in the first two years, we would see increases in the marketplace of 15 to 20 percent. After that, we would see um, potentially declines in the premium cost And by 2026, it would be about a 10% decline in the premiums, partly because there would be fewer, sicker people, older people in the marketplaces. And so that would lower the cost for other people. And the rate of population growth would go up. Actually, I thought that was a fascinating, uh, very interesting, didn't make the, the, the front pages the first day, but CBO actually concludes that our population would increase because more babies would be born because, <laughs> question mark? The Congressional Budget Office has concluded that 
people would get less preventive care, less uh, birth control, and that there would, and the bill would defund Planned Parenthood, which provides preventive services and birth control and abortion. Yet, yet another argument against this bill is that it uh, it fosters this notion of Republican sort of class warfare, that it'll benefit the rich at the expense of the poor. Can you just explain to us why that's so? Sure. So the Republican plan would replace the Obamacare tax credits with a different kind of tax credits that credit that would be based on age rather than income. And so there would be people who gained tax credits and subsidies that did not have it before. For example, a 64-year-old who is um, making about $68,000 would get a $5,000 tax credit, whereas under Obamacare, he would not have, he or she would not have qualified for a tax credit. So lower income people would not get as much of a subsidy, while some of the people who under Obamacare do not get tax credits would be eligible for a new tax credit, because the Obamacare tax credit is only available for people who are making between the federal poverty line and four times the federal poverty line. And the GOP bill also does include tax breaks for drug companies, device companies, and other industries, as well as high-income earners. So there is this argument that Democrats are making that it would uh, skew the benefits to the rich as opposed to lower-income people. American Medical Association is opposed to the current bill, and so is the AARP, and so is at least one or two other very large lobbying organizations. American Hospital Association. The hospitals are also. Um, How do they possibly win those people back, or do they pass this bill without them? It's going to take all of the legislative prowess and deal-making skills of Republicans to try to bring back these constituencies because they're very concerned. They had had conversations with interest groups before the bill came out, and the interest groups had expressed some concerns about the direction they were going in. But Republicans basically maintained the stance that they were that they were pursuing. It remains to be seen how AARP and the American Hospital Association and other hospital groups in the AMA and others come back on board at some point potentially. And there is there is or is not something of a rush here. I think I think people um, who don't think about Congress every day uh, might wonder. Sort of is there, there's a procedural rush and there's a political rush. I guess we understand the political rush, which is President Trump and the Republican Congress uh, campaigned on a promise of repeal and replace, quite simply, and so they want to prove to their constituencies that they've done this. But there's also, and maybe we can condense this to just a couple of crisp sentences. There's also a sort of a procedural reason why they're supposed to get this, get a move on here. Well, the basic premise is that they need to do this before they do tax reform. For wonks out there, they have um, fiscal 2017 budget reconciliation instructions for health care, and they need to take care of those, or ideally they would, before they start on tax reform. And so for that reason, there is a need to go ahead and move. There also is a big demand among industry to get some certainty on this. They've spent seven years adjusting to Obamacare, and now with for insurers, for example, who have to get their uh, premium bids and information in in May, generally speaking, they need to know what the landscape is going forward. This is an amazingly complicated story as a matter of policy and politics. We've been thrilled to have Rebecca Adams, editor of CQ's Health Beat, with us in the studio today to explain the top line. 
I'm David Hawking, Senior Editor at CQ Roll Call. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.